Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Steve Barber, and I'd like to welcome my brand new permanent co-host, Dwaylon Davis. Say hello, Dwaylon. Hey, guys. How you doing? And with that, I do have to make some announcements. Um, unfortunately, Kyle is long well, the co-host for the past year. Kyle is no longer going to be part of the show. He is a very, very busy man, uh, and, and he wears a lot of hats. I mean, I have to give it to him. Um, he has taken on a lot of commitments, and after a while, something had to give. And he and I talked, and um, unfortunately, he had to give up being the co-host because with us, part of our mantra for this show, no matter what, family always comes first. And part of his stuff, his, his goings on was commitments to his family. And he would definitely be missed because he's been a, he was a, obviously a huge uh, boost to the show. And, you know, he, he will be keeping in touch and he may make some appearances uh, here and there, especially when we're able to do top 10 episodes. Uh, he will have, you know, some input. He, he's always been corresponding with me since I've known the man for now going on 23 years, uh, ever since we served together in the Air Force. And so, uh, Kyle, I just want to give you a great big thank you, dude, and appreciate you, brother. And like I said, our new permanent co-host is, and you've known him, he's been the guest co-host for the about the past three weeks now. Is Yeah. Yeah, is uh, Dwaylon Davis. And a little bit of background, he and I have known each other since high school. He, he's been one of my closest friends since high school, and that actually is not just wrestling. Uh, because I mean, we, we were friends before we even knew each other. <laughs> we're wrestling fans. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were, I mean, our lockers were like right next to each other. And then, yep. you know, we both loved a lot of the same type of music and I mean, we just hit it off and we've been close ever since. Yeah. And you know, what's weird. I don't think we had the closest we ever come to actually having a class together though, was like study hall our senior year. And then I ended up becoming a teacher's aide. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. um, but we still hung out all the time um, at lunch, after school, um, sometimes before school even started, just walking the halls at Christian County High School because, well, what else are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when, when you're going to picking you up at Louisville, you know, that was yeah. a fun time. We still tell yeah. people it only took us two hours to get back to Hopkinsville. Yeah, in the Nova. <laughs> yeah, in the Nova. And what people don't understand when we say, well, what's the big deal? It's normally a three-hour drive, and we did it in two. Yeah. <laughs> so and we were passing everything. <laughs> that, it was a blur. Just it was. <laughs> and that's, I, I flew past that state trooper station on, I think it's the, the WK Parkway, going about 120. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they probably looked and went, uh no nah, i'm not even going no, with it, it. it so. yeah it's not worth it it's all right <laughs> um some more changes to the show is we are changing the format just a little bit we are no longer going to have live shows and so that means no more callers well part of that was because of the incident we had with some vulgarity and definitely you know the even worst case of the racism that we had on the calls back a few months ago that caused Kyle and I to say, all right, no more callers unless we arrange it beforehand. Unless we know the person, unless we know the number, we weren't just right. going to take random callers. And so, but now since we're, Joydell and I are now recording this over Zoom, that's not going to be an issue. And now we might here and there have 
um, a show with live callers, but that would also be because we're expecting someone to call in. Right. Yeah, we'll just have to play it by ear. And one of the other things, and I'm really excited about this because since we are doing Zoom and Joel and I are two of the smartest people that we know, we're just now figuring out technology and how to do watch alongs on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, two very technology, technologically sound people and we are fumbling around like we don't know yeah. anything, but we, we got it. So I can see us doing watch alongs on the future episodes and I think that's going to be fun and I'm really you know really excited about the the direction in which we're heading and hopefully uh, our listeners will be as well and now before we also before we get started on the subject I want to go ahead and give our contact and listening info for those who don't know if you just want to reach out to us if you want to give us any show suggestions if you want to give us any kind of feedback the email address is armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast or on Instagram. Just, just look up Armchair Booking. We're on Twitter at Booking Armchair. We're on YouTube. We're on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play. Just about any host of a podcast that you can think of, we're on there. So especially if you go on Apple Podcasts, go in there, give us a five-star review and actually give us some kind of comment. We love those. We love because if we don't know we're doing something wrong, we can't fix it. If we don't know exactly. we're doing something, yeah, we, if we don't know we're doing something right, we might accidentally change it. Yeah. So, let us know. Feedback is always very important. And because this is the special occasion of being Dwaylon's very first episode as the permanent co-host and his very first episode on a Monday night as well, I asked Dwaylon, say, you have any topic in mind that you would like to do? And he immediately said, the four horsemen. And Dwaylon, what was your reasoning, your special reason for choosing the Four Horsemen? Um, because I know we talk like wrestling fans always talk about like you know great factions and things like that, and it's like without the Horsemen, none of these other factions would have been possible because that type of that type of group dynamic had never been done before before the horsemen like you had you had managers who managed several different guys they had like a stable of guys but it was just like you know like um paul ellering with the legion of doom it used to be the road warriors and jake roberts and king kong bundy and I think but the it spoiler, was never i think the spoiler um, was in there as well the spoiler yeah, and the spoiler yep. but it was never like a cohesive group it just happened he was managing all these people and it they just kind of got lumped in together but with the horsemen it was just like it was four guys with the singular goal of being the absolute best in the company and stealing the show every night they went through the curtain yeah and i've always i've always been a big horseman fan and the older i get and the more i go back on well, Peacock now, but before WWE Network, and watch old Horseman stuff. It's just, I can really see how they they made that possible for all these other factions. There would, Jim Ross said it best. He said, without the Four Horsemen, there would be no NWO, there would be no DX, or any other, no Evolution, because Evolution was definitely 
a tribute act to the horsemen anyway but without the horsemen none of these other factions would have ever gotten off the ground much less be possible be as popular as they became and i think the, one of the coolest things about them it was totally organic because they just happened to put them to, together in an eight-man tag yeah and because they just needed people okay uh them four against them four yeah and they fit so well together of course only and arn were already a tag team and they yeah they had held the tag team belts tully i believe at the time was the u.s was was this during the time he held the u.s title i can't i can't remember if he no i think he was the national heavyweight champion at the okay. time um because yeah because um yeah he was with baby doll he was the national heavyweight champion and then he went on later won the u.s title and the tv title you know he held most of the major singles titles um and then you had of course you had flair the world champion. champion and then you know arn like named the group accidentally yeah yeah because we had <laughs> they had everybody in they didn't they only had so much interview time so they put everybody they put all of them in there at the same time and he said not since you know not since the days of the bible have there been so much havoc wrecked you know by so few people yep he said you have to go back to the full horseman of the apocalypse yeah and i was like man i was even thinking then because i remember hearing it, i was like did he just kind of give their okay and then they and then tony Giovanni was one he said you just named you guys and Arnold said, yeah. what? he's like what I yeah. said, what <laughs> he's like okay i mean and like i said it was organic they didn't sit there in a in a boardroom and start thinking of okay we need to have a faction who's yeah exactly yeah everything. it just yeah. it just happened and they all you know they all worked so well together and they were able to play off of each other because you had flair you know who's the flamboyant guy and then mm -hmm. you know who tully who in my opinion is an extremely underrated heel Oh, absolutely. one of the best one of the best heels in the history of wrestling regardless of what company you talk about Tully Blanchard was like if you want to know how to be a great wrestling heel go watch Tully Blanchard interviews and matches and he's got the blueprint down for you right there oh I hated him growing up yeah. of course now I mean that as a compliment yeah exactly and that's he loved that 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 was his point he's I watched the uh, interview with him and he said he said his his job was to get people stirred up enough to where they would leave their house and sit through two or three hours of the not so good matches to see his match to see somebody kick his butt he's like yep. you want to be a heel your job is to get people mad enough at you to where they pay to see you get your yep. butt kicked and, and he then, said, I made a living out of it. <laughs> and he made a really good living. Yeah. And, and then you had Arn and you had Arn and Oli, who were just as tough as they came. And, you know, and I want to say Arn at the time, he was probably the least experienced out of the four of them. Yeah, he was like, I mean, basically he was still a rookie. I mean, he only had like a few years under his belt wrestling. Yeah. Um, by that point, well, he's he's talked about it on his podcast. He may have, at the most, four or five years. That was it. Yeah, yeah. And and 
for him to learn as quick as what he did, and the only reason they even started calling him Arn Anderson is because he looked like Ole. Yeah, he looked, he looked like, like, an, like Ole. The, yeah. the beard and everything. Yeah. And I believe Arn, when they first started, may have he may have been holding the television title at the time as well as the tag team belts. He was a dual holder. Totally had held the yes. tag. The, yes. Totally had he held the TV and, title. Uh, yeah, Arn and uh, Ole were the national tag team champions. And then Arn, at first, he just took the world television title from Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I remember that. Like, <laughs> during the interview segment, he came out, jumped Dusty, and took the title. So Dusty defended it against Arn, and Arn beat him and was officially the champ. So, yeah, he was a, double, he was a dual champion for a little while. And Arn actually talked about this the other day on his podcast, how him and Ole became the national tag team champions. And I've never heard of a situation like this before or since. And so I think they booked this really well. Ole was actually the national tag team championship holder with Thunderbolt Patterson. Okay. And then Arn came in the territory. And I still remember when Arn's first match on TV, he quote unquote broke a kid's arm. Yeah. Right? He wrapped the kid's arm like this cable. And he said, well, Manny Fernandez saw that and he, was irate and he went in there to help the kid out. Well, then Arn jumped him. And then he and Manny, they started this this story together. And um, and I remember he beat Manny on TV. And I'm like, okay, this guy's this Arn Anderson guy, he's legit because he's yeah. the, the gourd buster. Everybody forgets about the gourd buster. Spine buster is a is an awesome move. Yeah. But he was using the gourd buster, which you go up for a suplex and then bam, right down on the face. Yeah. Yep. And he said he stopped using it because there were guys who were legitimately worried about concussions and getting hurt even back then. Yeah. But he beat Manny. And then Ole, though, was like, okay, whose side do I choose? Because they started pulling Ole into it because Arn finally ended up jumping Thunderbolt Patterson. And then now here's Ole. Thunderbolt's his longtime partner, but Arn's, right. Arn is supposed to be his cousin. Yeah. And he had to make this choice. And finally, he decided on the on the side of blood and he jumped Thunderbolt. And so they eventually had a match where Thunderbolt and Manny on one side, Arn and Ole on the other. Whoever won the match, the their partner would get the other half of the national tag team belts. Right. You know, so it was like champion one half of the tag champs against the other half of the tag champs, plus with different partners. And I'm like, you think about it now, that is like such a cool way. That is a cool storyline. Yeah. And, you know, so maybe um, WWE or AEW or bring it with somebody ought to take note of that. Yeah. Say, we, could, we ought to bring that back. And, of course, then later on when they did form the Horsemen, because that and because they were saying rick flair was another cousin yeah 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 because they said you know because rick flair from minnesota and he actually well only has a minnesota accent flair kind of does even though he's been in charlotte and the atlanta area for yeah decades uh but they're saying he's the cousin and totally was like just their great partner and arn they always they they had arn was the enforcer but really totally to me he he could have fit that role as well yeah yeah, definitely. But yeah, they, I mean, and they, they started off hot and just, just kept going. Kept it just going. kept going up and up and up. It's like they, it's like they put the gas all the way down and just never let up. Because there weren't too many titles that they didn't basically control. 
No, because I mean, it, you know, during their entire run, they held the tag, you know, different versions of the tag titles, U.S. title, world television title, um, you know, U.S. title, world heavyweight title. You know, Flair, of course, you know, Flair was always the world champion, but then, like, you know, Tully held tag titles with Arn, national heavyweight title, TV title, um, U.S. title, um, Arn, multiple-time TV champion, Ole tag titles, you know, it's just, and then when Luger came in, you know, and Luger gets a lot of flack for not being a good pro wrestler. Luger, the thing with Luger is not the his in ring for what for for what Luger was. Luger's a power guy. For what Luger was, he did it good. He he did his part good. He's just he never to me he never fit in that same group of great technical wrestlers. Right. Because you had at one time you had, you know, you had him, Arn, Tully, and Flair. So you got these three great technical wrestlers over here and this power guy who, you know, he could stand up with the Nikita Koloffs and you know the Dr. Death and the Road Warriors and yeah. the you know the the bigger guys. But I think people expected him to be a great wrestler because Basically, he was an Ole spot, and Ole was a big, strong guy, but he was a great technical wrestler. Right. And Ole's promos, a lot of people forget about his how great Ole was on the mic. Oh, yeah. And he, like uh, Flair said before, he said Ole just had that deep, commanding voice that as soon as he started talking, you were like, what's he saying? What? Yeah. And you were, like, drawn into it. And... Yeah, he was a great promo. All of them were like just amazing promos. Yeah, that and that that was actually something else that made them so good was because all yeah. four of them could cut great promos individually, and then when you put them together, yeah, I mean, and the way they, could just, they could just bounce off each other like with no. It's like everything was off. That's back in the days when you literally did your own promo, and it wasn't you weren't handed a script of what to say. Right. You had a you just had you had a point to get across, and they just let you do it how you felt like doing it. Right, and if I could find one of the promos, in fact, I want to say this was right before Ole and Thunderbolt when they had their breakup. When Ole is talking to Thunderbolt, and it was I want to say that was the interview where Arn came in and actually jumped Thunderbolt from behind. Was he was talking? He said he said I know he's an Anderson. He said because and I've known. I know what he can do as an Anderson and I know, you know, how good he can be. And he was, he was just so serious about it. And I'm like, man, I mean, he's talking, that doesn't sound, it, it almost didn't, the best, I think the best wrestling promos don't necessarily sound like a wrestling promo. Right. You know, and the, one of the things, and this is another match I really wish I could remember who was against, but it was on TV and it was not enhancement town. It was against somebody like the rock and roll express or somebody Ole got tagged in and he just stood in the corner and looked at him and he was doing the come here motion with his finger. And he mm -hmm. just stood there looking at him like, I'm not moving. You're going to come over here. Right. And I was like, oh man, now that that's, I always <laughs> remember that. I'm like, okay. that. And, and um, 
And and he really he didn't have to scream, but when Ole would scream like during the promos is because something something just went down. Like oh, they yeah. when they just broke somebody's arm. Yeah. And I think when Ole when he did take the time away because he was going to go watch his son wrestle, I mean, that was actually a legitimate thing. And they did work it into an angle and they did bring in Luger first as the associate. Yeah. And then a full fledged horseman and uh, Luger. Cause I remember seeing him in all the magazines, you know, coming out of Florida because he had wrestled flair, you know, for yeah. the world title down in Florida. Yeah. And yeah. So he was also the uh, Florida heavyweight champion for yep. a little while too, before they, before he, uh, they brought him up to the horseman. Yep. And so I knew the guy was good. In fact, they were calling him Lex Lugar at first down in Florida. Then when he came up to, I, I don't remember if it was still mid Atlantic or if it was, or as Jim Crocker, whatever it phased it, they were at the time, but they started calling him Lex Luger. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it almost seemed like it was a typo when somebody said, you know what, just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he definitely had the look. Um, yeah. And he could do some things. I think part of it because he's so, he was so muscular, he couldn't be as limber and flexible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. He carried so much mass that he couldn't, he couldn't move like the other ones could. Right. He couldn't move. He couldn't, he didn't have those quick movements or anything. But I mean, he still, um, he was able to win the U.S. title. Mm-hmm. He still, the, uh, he still has the, not as a horseman, but later on, his second reign is still the longest recorded reign in the lineage of the U.S. title. I think it's 528 days, I think. What, consecutive? So, yeah. Straight, really? yeah. 528 oh, wow. straight days as the U.S. champion. That was his uh, second reign with it. Because I think he's won it like five times, but the second reign was the most impressive because, I mean, he beat everybody. Was that the one where he finally lost it to uh, Dusty Rhodes at Starfield? Uh, no, he lost the first one to Dusty Rhodes. He lost it at uh, Starcade. It was in a cage. Right. Because they, they uh, get... was trying to uh, he threw the chair with a chair. Yeah. yeah. And then he won it. Trying to think. No, Amy. He won it back. Yeah. He won it back later after he was, you know, had already turned face. And then he went on that run of 528 days, which only got broken. Michael Hayes beat him. Yeah. That's like, (laughs) that is random. Michael Hayes, they started a feud. I can't remember why they started feuding, but him and Michael Hayes started feuding. Luger was beating the tar out of Michael Hayes most of the match. But then Terry Gordy comes down and hits Mm. Luger with something. And then Hayes hits the DDT and pins him and wins the U.S. title. I think he only held it for a couple of months and Luger took it back. And, you know, that's funny that, you know, you bring up uh, two of the Freebirds is they were kind of a faction, but they didn't dominate and control all the titles. Right. They never stayed in the area long enough, you know, and to do the kind of stuff that the Four Horsemen ended up doing. And I I still remember when Luger, let me yell at my dog for a second. Amy, go. Get. Go. Um, if you don't pet her, she just. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I've got a couple of dogs too. They do the same. <laughs> if you don't pet them, they just sit there like you know what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, and um, but where was I at? I was talking about Luger. Oh, the Freebirds. Free the Freebirds. Yeah, because the Freebirds they didn't really they really didn't win a lot of titles. I think when they were world class, they may have been the six man champs at one point. But, I think so, but as far as like world tag team champions they didn't really get to be world tag team champions until it was uh hayes and garvin right and that was way way you know down the road u.s tag team champions and then they ended up winning the world tag team titles and with luger when he actually turned face and i don't remember the reason and why he turned face at the when he left the horseman um it was uh that the bunkhouse stampede. Oh, the, that's right. They wanted JJ wanted to win it, so the other horsemen were like, "Okay," and like Arn and Arn and Tully eliminated themselves. Luger said no, eliminated JJ, and then, of course, the horsemen jumped him, and that was it. And that was it. Blood in, blood out. Yeah. And when him and and Barry Wyndham, when they became a tag team, and of course, once again, they had known each other down in Florida, and they they may have teamed up down in Florida uh, as well. But it almost yeah, seemed like yeah. natural put them back together, you know, as a team. Yeah. But I still remember watching when Barry uh, when because they were the tag team champs, and when Barry turned on Luger, um, and I want it was like the tip, you know, the 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 misunderstanding in the match and. Um, and if you'd ever want to see a picture perfect lariat of Barry Windham's, you got to watch that one when he tagged yes. Luger in. Yes. Yes. Him up and then hit the lariat. Yeah. Yes. Cause Barry Windham's lariat. So many people forget about that one because I mean, and of course they talk about Stan Hansen, you know, and they talk about JBL and, you know, his clothesline from hell and things like that. But Barry Windham's lariat was something to behold. I mean, because he well, – oh, Barry's was like – okay, like Hanson's and Bradshaw's were – it was force. It was just pure mm-hmm. force. Barry's was just like a thing of beauty. It Because, you know, Barry was tall and lanky. So when he yeah. hits you – when he's going for a clothesline, you at first – because, I mean, first time I ever saw him throwing a clothesline, I was like – he doesn't look like he's going to hurt this guy. But then the way he would do the clothesline, it was like, looked like he was taking the guy's head off. Yeah. And it's like, he was just a, you know, everything he did was so smooth. It mm-hmm. was just like, Dusty has said that uh, Barry Windham was probably the most gift, gifted athlete to ever step in a wrestling ring. He's like, everything Barry does is just, you know, it's like he's been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, and Flair, he well, said... Barry, Barry never looked like a rookie. No, he didn't. And Flair, uh, he his, he said kind of similar stuff about Wyndham as well. He said Wyndham was like one of the best, like you said, one of the most gifted athletes in there. And they said he never worked out. No, so, yeah. <laughs> that's a scary thing. He's just naturally that good, all yeah. six, 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 seven of him. Yeah. And the only other wrestler I could think of that has a comparable lariat is um the undertaker when he first went into the wwf yeah, um, yeah. he was a lot more mobile than what you know what he was later on 
Yeah. Um, but he could hit that Larry. In fact, his, you watched the match when he beat Hogan for the title um, Survivor Series in 1991. He hit the Larry one time on Hogan in that match. That it was kind of the same thing. You want to see a picture perfect lariat? There it was. Yeah. And yeah. but yeah, Barry, and in fact, when Barry Wyndham, when he joined the horseman, that's actually my favorite um incarnation of the horseman was swap out Ole, put in Barry. Um yeah, that was mine too. That I I still think that is the greatest that that is the greatest version of the horseman is Flair, Arn, Tully, and Barry. Right. And and it wasn't anything against Ole. It's just, I, I don't know why. I just felt, always felt Barry was, you know, he kind of, and maybe it was just at that time he was a better fit, but I still liked it better than the, the version with Ole. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and then from there, and this is when, right about the time that I went in the Air Force. And so I lost a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff. And we were talking about this, you know, it's like, okay, which of the horsemen are we going to discuss? We're going to discuss all of them. And you said, yeah, I said, even Paul Roma. <laughs> and you said, Unfortunately, even, <laughs> even Paul Roma. Yeah. Cause Arn and Tully left. They left. It was pay issues. They were getting paid probably half of what everybody else was making, mm-hmm. you know, night to night on the shows when the pay came out. So they, it was a, like a, 11th hour title chains they dropped the titles to the midnight express yep and then they left and went to wwf then jj Dillon ended up taking an office job at wwf so he left too and then uh so and then steamboat came back to the yep. ter- to the territory so him and flair started their you know classic rivalry so and then barry was still there and then Barry ended up leaving too because he ended up being the stalker. Like, um, never, never got it. <laughs> yeah, I never understood what it was supposed to be. I feel like they just wasted him because he could have just came in as Barry Windham and went to the top. But of course, you know how Vince is; he had to give everybody some kind of weird name or weird gimmick or weird occupation. But uh, so. They were kind of, you know, they were kind of dead. And then, you know, Arn and Tully, you know, they won the uh, WWF tag team titles. But then, you know, when their contract was coming up, Arn wanted to go home because, you know, he's got kids and, you know, he was on the road so much with WWF, he wasn't seeing his family. So him and he talked to Tully, him and Tully decided to go back and reform the Horsemen. Then... So, but Arn went back, but Tully didn't end up going back because Tully, Tully snorted some cocaine. A little bit, yeah. Went to TV the next day and there was a drug test. He got popped for the drug test and then got a call and said that uh, WCW had rescinded their offer because of the drug test. So he couldn't go back to WWE because he failed their drug test. So he's getting Mm -hmm. fired from there no WCW, so they had a hole in the Horseman. I still, to this day, have no clue why Paul Roma was the choice. I never, (laughs) I've never seen, I've never read anything or heard any interview to the reason, other than it had to have been just a company decision to stick him in there. But why, why, I don't know. 
Hold on just for a second. No problem. Avery, I need your help with something real quick. Apparently, Murray just peed on the carpet. Can you help with that? Thank you. The other, other dog had an accident. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I have no clue why Paul Roma was the guy. I mean, you had, so then, you know, so you had Oli. Oli was back. So you had Oli, Orange, Flair, and then Paul Roma. And I, I have the, the Four Horsemen DVD somewhere. Yeah, and I do too. And that's when, when Triple H said, Paul Roma, you, the job guy from WWE? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, was in, he was in the Young Stallions in WWE, and he was. I mean, they were they were a job tag team. They were the, you know, they got the, they got the stars over. That's what they did. You well, know? he was also in Power and Glory, though. That's yeah. true. Now, Power and Glory, they didn't stick together long enough for it to be, you know, to have a have a good run, I think they could have. I love power. Yes, Glory. they had the one of the greatest tag team finishing moves ever, with the powerplex. Man, yeah. But seeing Paul Romo in the interview on that same DVD, I'm thinking he this man's got to be joking when he's saying Ric Flair is jealous of him and wants to be him. Yeah. Like, and then he was talking about you know talking about Arn. He called Arn the Pillsbury Doughboy and. Talking about Arn was jealous of him too because he had a better body, and it's like, uh, yeah, who who do you think carried you to that world tag team title you wanted? Exactly, when you were exactly. And I, yeah, Roma being part of that, I didn't understand. And what Flair even said it wasn't his decision; it was somebody in the office. It was their decision. Yeah. Um, and you know, it may have been Oli's. You never know because. Um, yeah, Oli was Oli was booking at that time. Yeah, and so, Oli Oli can be kind of bitter at times about some things. And yeah, I just did, you know he did he actually didn't like Flair coming back after losing the loser leaves town match to uh, Kurt Hennig. Yeah, because he said, "What am I going to do with you now?" And yeah. I mean, I kind of see Oli's point of okay, you just got beat, so you're having to run my care, so you left there a loser. But at the same time, that's still Ric Flair. It's it's Ric Flair. It's not like it was, it's not like it was Paul Roma getting beat and right. then coming <laughs> over. You know, it's not like Paul Roma loses a match and has to leave the company and then comes over. It's Flair. Flair losses never hurt Ric Flair. No, they didn't. And I mean, he even said, you know, he uh, he said, "I have sixteen world titles. I only won sixteen matches." <laughs> yeah, exactly. and he's, yeah and he said by the time he finished wrestling he said all i have was a chop a knee drop and a woo and <laughs> so um but when right at the time also Oli finally like retired from good and they brought in sid vicious yeah and flair as much as what he said it was not it was not his decision to put in roma he said he would never consider sid vicious a horseman because the other, all the other horsemen prided themselves on being good wrestlers. That means you take care of your opponents as well. Yeah. And whereas Sid Vicious did not, he was hurting. No. And I liked, I liked Sid for what he was. Right. In my opinion, best power bomb 
he had the best power bomb out of anybody who's ever used that move. Yeah, because Kevin Nash is his jackknife. He just picked him up and then just kind of dropped him. Yeah, he just kind of yeah, he just kind of let him go. As soon as he got him up and then let him go. Vader's power bomb was really good, but I still think Sid had the best. But Sid had the size and the look, but none of the skill. Right. And, and the attitude was bad. Yep, because how they broke up was him and Arn started getting all stabby with each other over in England. Yeah, it's like, you know, they said Arn, they said Arn almost died. Yeah. They said it was like he got stabbed like 30 times with a pair of scissors. Yep. And, and of course now Sid's I gone. Was, I think the argument was because Arn, I think Arn was defending Flair cuz Sid was, you know, he Sid said, was going off, you know, saying something, you know, a bunch of crap about Flair, and Arn was defending Flair, and they got mm-hmm. into a fight, and Sid grabbed scissors and started stabbing Arn. Yep, and they said, well, one of them knocked in the other one's hotel room, and then somehow the scissors came into play, Yeah, <laughs> and like I said, they got all stabby with each other, and Arn almost died, Sid got fired, and a yep. whole bunch of plans they had just went poof. Yep up in smoke and then the horsemen were gone again and you know of course we can't forget sting was also almost a horseman they said he was for all of like what a week but he accepted the match against flair and that's when they kicked him out yep that's when they turned on him yep because uh flair i i love that uh i love that internet interview segment at the pay-per-view when they kicked him out because mm-hmm. Oli, with that voice, was just like, there's three of us and one of you. So just be quiet and listen. He's like, you're no longer a horseman. If we ever see you again, it's not going to go this easy. He's like, "Get talk to whoever you have to. Get out of that match. And Sting said no. So they jumped him. And then that was that. And then they were... It was horseman over here and Sting over here. Yeah, and I think I mean Flair's even said he, he, that Sting was never a horseman, but he didn't mean that like in a disrespectful way. He said they had him there just so they could kick off the storyline yeah. with him and Sting. Yeah, and Sting didn't need the horseman. The horseman didn't exactly, need Sting. Exactly. You know, Sting was already big enough on his own. He didn't need the horseman. Of course, the horsemen were already big. Yeah, Sting wasn't and, doing anything for them. And one of the things that actually you bring it up about Oli, um, when you had him and Flair in the group, Oli was kind of a natural leader. Mm-hmm. And but then you had Flair, who's a world champion. Flair was also, uh, in his own way, kind of a leader because he was the world champion. And Hold on, Jeff, a second. Okay, go ahead. All right. Um, but I think that that was a difference between when Oli left and when Barry came in, because now you had Flair was the leader. You didn't have it. In a, and I don't think there was ever a power struggle, obviously, but, you know, you can only have really one ultimate leader. Yeah, yeah. And Flair, I mean, was, was it, because, I mean, he was the world champion. And, you know, so I think that's where... That's why I liked 
the group with Barry um, better. And then I just, I'd like Barry Windham for the first time I saw him like in a, in a, before he ever came to mid Atlantic the first time in 1984, when he was there, him and Rotunda came in for a couple of months and all of a sudden disappeared because Vince started waving that Vince money. Oh yeah. Yeah. He started <laughs> just scooping up talent everywhere. Yep. But you know, when I was in there looking at a list of the horse, because after this, it gets kind of weird because this is when they did end up getting Crispin Y in there, which I think Crispin yeah. Y was a great fit because. Crispin, oh yeah. Crispin Y was a perfect fit. Yeah. And, and then they got uh, Dean Malenko. Yep. Eventually. One, yep. Yeah. Malenko was a great fit, but before Malenko was Pillman, it was Flair, Flair, Anderson, Benoit, and Pillman. And I think that would have been a really good group too, but Pillman, being Pillman, was <laughs> felt like he was working everybody. So yeah. he ended up leaving. And because uh, he floated the idea of Eric Bischoff legitimately firing him as an angle but doing it for real so that he could go other places built, you know, get even more yeah. heat and then come back. He, he worked, never, <laughs> he worked never, this off. Yeah. It was never his plan. <laughs> he leaves there. He goes to WCW, builds even more heat for his character, then signs with Vince. He never oh, he, had any intention. I mean, ECW. Yeah. ECW. Yeah. yeah. He left WCW, went to ECW, then signed with Vince. He never had any intention of going back. <laughs> and, and there's Bischoff like, yep, he got me. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and, he got it, a, and not only that, but Bischoff bought out his contract. Yeah. So, oh. uh, you know, he got a pocket full of cash on the way out. Got, a, got oh. to be a bigger star than he already was and then went and made more money with, w, with WWF. And his kid is now with um, AEW. Yes. Yep. And I mean, spit an image. You, you oh, definitely yeah. tell that's, that's, um, have you seen the dark side of the ring on Pillman? Uh, no, I have not. Ooh, that one. Um, yeah. I mean, well, all the dark side of the ring episodes, I mean, they, they get pretty intense. Yeah. Um, but that one, because, um, because of where I live now, you know, just 30 miles east of Cincinnati, Right. Of course, you know, that's where he was from. He played for the Bengals. He went to Miami of Ohio, which is, you know, just uh, about two hours away from here. But he played there and he was always told he was too small. And um, his sister was on there talking about when he had the tracheotomy done when he was like nine years old. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, his throat would just swell shut. And one time they, they barely got him to the hospital. That's when they did the tracheotomy. But that's why he had that raspy voice the rest of his yeah. life. And, and I, I, um, they had, they also had his, uh, well, his first wife, unfortunately she had, uh, she took her own life, um, at one point. And this was after he was already married to, uh, Melanie. Oh, okay. And yeah, because they bring that up and they talk about some things and that one gets, um, it, it gets pretty intense and, um, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it too much, but yeah, Melanie Pillman. She's. Uh, it didn't cast her in a very favorable light, even though she was doing a lot of the interviews. But you're still looking at her going, 
Hmm. Yeah. yeah you, you just don't seem like a good person, <laughs> but, right. um, but anyway, yeah, when, you know, and I even forget Pillman was even part of the horseman because it was so, sh- such a short time. Yeah. And then it's like, and then they kind of got put on the back burner again once, you know, once Pillman left. Right. And then I think that was, I'm trying to think. Well, that was um, um, when, right about then, yeah, that's when Arn and Flair were wrestling Mongo and Kevin Green. Yes. And this one I do remember. Oh, I saw the videos of it. Um, it didn't get a, as much publicity as I think it should because it was in June of 96 at the Great American Bash. So this would have been like the the very same month or the month before the NWO, before Hogan uh, turned. Yeah. And when they had um, Deborah McMichael, you know, of course she actually had a lot more to do with wrestling than, than Steve did for a little bit. If you think about yeah. it, yeah. I mean, it, that's, which is kind of wild, but she, and she and woman, woman and Miss Elizabeth were both heels. They were kind of, accompanying the horse because Benoit was there of course with woman yeah and Elizabeth she was there coming to flick because she and and Savage had split yeah uh, yeah I mean that'd be so weird having to work with your ex-wife but I guess they I got, know, they, right? yeah. yeah I guess they got along though so um and then all of a sudden Deborah came back with the briefcase full of money and a full horseman t-shirt and he took it closed it bam and whacked Kevin yep. Green upside the head and now Mongo's a horseman. Yeah. What's odd to me about Mongo, Mongo is not even a wrestler. Yeah. And so you would think he would not fit in with the horseman, but Flair said, no, he said Mongo is great as a horseman. <laughs> you know, he, he because his lifestyle was a, yeah. a, a horseman. And he, because he also, he worked hard and he wanted to learn the craft. And yeah. And it was like some of these other ones that I'm going to have the horseman name, but that's about it. I'm going to use it to push myself. Exactly. Yeah. Because I felt, I always felt like kind of like that way with Roma was that Roma was just, even if it was the company's idea to put him in there, Roma wasn't trying to be a horseman. He was just trying to use the horseman to make a bigger name for himself because, I mean, other than power and glory and pretty wonderful, I mean, being a horseman is his only other claim to fame. Right. So it's like, I feel like that he was just looking at it like, oh, this is a way for me to get pushed up the card, which, of course, you know, never happened that way. But no, I mean, that part of that was, of course, attitude. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, he was thinking the horseman needed him. No, the horseman don't no. need you. You need the horseman. <laughs> right. They don't need they do you. not need you at all. And, um, yeah, so that was the, that time. Like I said, the new the the New World Order was formed, and so the Forceman, the, the Forceman, that's actually not a bad name either. The Forceman, yeah. You know? <laughs> but, but the Horsemen were kind of relegated almost to mid card, which it shouldn't be like that. But the New World yeah. Order was at the time the hottest thing since Sunburn. Yeah, you know because I remember. When I came back from Japan, this was in December of 96. 
and you and I had gone over to our friend Chris. We'd gone over to his apartment up above the roller dome. Yep, yep. And we were talking about that because I think y'all were both saying, oh, Hogan turned bad. And I was like, what? Because I, <laughs> yeah. I had not seen all this yet. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And then came out and, he, you know, he's all in the black and white and, you know, and um, there's and I knew Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were there because I had seen the videos that had been released and they had made it to the base um, that I was at in Japan. So I'd seen those, but that was, of course, when Nash powerbombed Bischoff through like the stage. Yeah. Um, what was that in like April or May of that year? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so I think, you, I think about May. See, I didn't see it until around October. Oh. So I was way behind. I mean, this is, uh, man, I didn't have a computer. And, and even if I, <laughs> you know, not everybody had the internet. And so I right. didn't, uh, and it was still the spoilers that were showed up weren't, were not, and it wasn't really that time yet. That didn't come until a couple years later. So I was yeah. way behind. And so you and Chris are telling me, oh, yeah, Hogan turned bad. And I'm like, you two are full of crap. And they're like, no. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, wow. Um, and so everybody, not that they forgot about the horseman. I certainly didn't forget about the horseman. But it, it they almost got pushed down because you know they could have had horsemen against NWO um, battles. Yeah. And they could have had that for a long time. And, but they didn't. And I, I, for the life of me, I can't think of why not, because the horseman is one of those, it has gone, I mean, off and on by this point for about 12 years, since 1985. Yeah. And now yeah. it pushed on into 1997 and adding Malenko, I think it was like you said, it was a great idea because Malenko is one of the best technical wrestlers ever. Oh and, yeah. And I think somebody needs to start using the Texas Cloverleaf as a, a finishing hold. Yeah. I, I don't get it why they don't. Um, I don't either. I've seen a few people. I've seen Rhea Ripley use it, but it wasn't mm -hmm. a finisher. It was just like a transition move. I, it, I mean, a lot of these great finishers, it's like they just, I don't know. AEW uses more, you know, uh, the, some of their wrestlers use more of the traditional finishers at times, but like WWE is bad about taking like a really good finisher and making it a transition move. And it's right. like, why? It's like, because that just waters down the moves. Because if you're just using it as a transition, Texas Cloverleaf, that's that's a match ending. Yeah. Like, somebody should be tapping out to the Texas Cloverleaf. And one of the things I have noticed WWE have kind of uh, scaled back on is doing the finishing moves, you know, five times before they actually pin them. Yes, yes. They finally stopped doing that because well, they it's like they took what people were doing on the indies and tried to emulate that, but they didn't do it right. Because if you watch stuff on the indies, yes, they hit, they may hit multiple uh, multiple finishers in a match, but it's spaced out. Like they'll hit a finisher and they'll get a kick out. So then you know, say the opponent will hit their finisher trying to end the match. But they they build it up so good with with their storytelling that it's okay if they hit two or three finishers to put the person away. But WWE will just like 
it's like they're hitting the it's like they're hitting the spam button when you're playing 2K and yeah. they're just <laughs> and you got five finishers loaded that you got to use up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they just um, keep finisher, finisher, finisher. <laughs> yeah, and, and I and it'd be one thing. All right, you and I are in a match. You hit your finisher. However, the referee is not there. Right, out of position. Yeah, right. And so you know because you're sitting there, you're pinning me, and you're counting one, two, three. Because, and that says yes, you have me pinned, you have me beat, and you. And of course, now you have to get up, find the referee. Come on, Tommy, get up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they get back. Then you try to pin me again, but of course, by this point, I've been laid out for you know twenty seconds, and I'm recovered enough I can kick out. Right. And so then, if you do it again, it's not as bad. It's not like boom do it and they kick out immediately yeah and yeah it's like and that's the thing too it's like people always say that about the the indies to where they oh well they'll you know they'll they'll kick out quick after a finisher but they usually don't the indie matches that i've watched where they use that method right they're kicking out at like two and three quarters i mean they're they're getting every bit of that of that three count and then it makes it more believable. They barely kicked out. So then hit them with the finisher again to put them away. Right. And um, <clears throat> like even, you know, the F5. Yeah. That is, I mean, that looks like a move that if you were to, well, if you were to somehow get somebody up on your shoulders during a fight and do that, now that's the other trick. <laughs> right. right. Um, but that looks like a move that would absolutely devastate somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, or even better, the rock bottom. I don't yeah. like the people's elbow. I think the people people's elbow is stupid. But the rock bottom is yeah. that's legit. You could yeah. you could do that in a fight. I think I've seen people do that in a fight. Oh yeah, I've seen yeah, I've seen stuff yeah. on YouTube where people have actually done that in a fight. Yeah, and that one could be a legit thing. <clears throat> um, but you're not going to hit it and then boom, pan and boom. But because all it does, it doesn't make the person kicking out look strong. After a while, it makes the move look weak. Yeah exactly and you know so i think now um we getting back to the the horseman because that's what we have great segues into other subjects we really do <laughs> <laughs> um when malinka was in there and of course when jeff jarrett also came in there and this is one of the things when i was looking this up on wikipedia it said jeff jarrett was not a member and then it said, according to the, the you know, look at the previous said he was an associate, but not a member. I'm like, okay, whoever edited this made it like that. Of course, it's Wikipedia. So you always got to kind of. Yeah. Take uh, it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Right. So I went to another website and it listed like the, the 15 horsemen ranked and Jarrett was on there as being a horseman. Yeah. And he was, uh, Arnett said that that was a company decision, but he was. You know, he's he was a horseman. I mean, it was very short, but right, he was a horseman. Yeah, and I I'd always thought. I mean, it like I said, it wasn't for a very long time, but he was right. there. And of course, the ironic thing is, Deborah left with him when he went to the WWF. Yep, yep. And so Mongo is still there, but. Apparently, Deborah and woman did not get along. I mean, they, oh no, they yeah, they they hated each other on screen and off and, and off. And so, yeah. um, and unfortunately, I mean, you know, 
woman was involved in all way way too real yeah uh, real life yeah. thing um you know makes you rest in peace but with jerry coming in there and then of course leaving and then malenko's there well i hated how they finally ended the horseman because it was when arn and i was watching this when i happened to have monday night i worked second shift when i was in maryland um you know for the air force anyway before i had to get all the part-time jobs that i got but right um i had monday nights off there for a while and so i was actually watching when arn gave kurt henning his spot because arn had the neck injury yeah it was serious enough he retired and you know and of course the very next week they came out and they made fun of arn and all the horsemen and arn was not pleased yeah um he, yeah yeah um because it made him look like a drunk and, and he and that was actually his cooler they were using by the way yeah that, kevin nash said that he's like the that was Arn's cooler. <laughs> yeah, he said that was Arn's cooler, but Arn he knew they were going to do a segment. He did he, but he said they just took it too far. Yeah, and um, even Eric Bischoff has said he's like, if I could go back and change things, he's like, we never would have done that segment. Right. He said he said I honestly do feel bad about doing that because he's like, in hindsight, that was his family had to see that mm-hmm. him being mocked after having to retire from a you know from a serious surgery yep and so hennig was a horseman for all of what three weeks yeah it was basically just uh, again another another angle another use the horseman to create an angle so that henning could jump to the nwo so he could feud with flair yeah and, and and this was like the only time they had the nwo and the horsemen clashing yeah and they did it i mean they essentially well flair says this is when they killed wrestling in north carolina because they, they did this in greensboro mm-hmm. where you know where hennig slammed the the cage door into flair's head yeah um which he did that with some gusto too yeah i do not know how as i mean that looked painful i don't I, know how he yeah and walked away from that one but you know, and I mean, if you look at like the history, they do say, oh, well, the horsemen kind of kept going arms, but it was not the same after that because they just took all the steam out. Um, but it did give way, I think, for a lot of the other factions, which has formed, like you said, after that um, with DX. Well, DX, they were going on about the same time as NWO because to me, it almost felt like DX and the NWO were working together in a way because yeah. you had, you know, um, Sean Waltman going back and forth yeah, between the two. Um, but then you also had evolution, of course, with flair right there in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, and then the one, another faction who I've lost track of all the members of this one, the bullet club. Uh, yeah, there are so many current and former members, but like, that was that was started by Finn Balor, well Prince Devitt actually, but <clears throat> but that was started by by Balor and him and Carl Anderson were like the founders of that. But yeah, they've had so many members. It's like you've had AJ Styles, Adam Cole, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, um, 
Anderson and Gallows, Jay White, Gorillas of Destiny. Um, trying to think. Uh, the Gorillas of Destiny's younger brother is now a member of Bullet Club. I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He's going to be fighting uh, Lance Archer next this coming week on Dynamite for the U.S. title, for the IWGP U.S. title. Um, but yeah, Bullet Club is just, which that's another one. Bullet, Bullet Club would not have been able to be a thing. Well, actually, I take that back. I say without the horsemen, but really, I think the Bullet Club could have still been a thing because it was in Japan, because like right. the NWO idea was taken from a Japanese idea. Right. So I don't, I, think, I don't remember which organization was invading the other, but yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it was all pro. I think it was all Japan was invading New Japan. I okay. think I think that's how it worked. <clears throat> and they kind of built it up like an NWO thing. And then Eric Bischoff saw it and just plucked everything that was good about it out and used it for the NWO. Um, but uh but you got Bullet Club. Even now, you have <clears throat> the Inner Circle in AEW. Yeah. You have the Pinnacle in, in, in AEW, which has Tully Blanchard in there. You have that Tully in there. You've got FTR, who are they're Arn and, and Tully revisited. I F mean, it's FTR. They they need uh, they deserve a lot more recognition than what they've been getting. Yes, man, they are a fantastic team. I'm I'm glad they left. WWE and went to yeah. went to AEW because AEW is actually recognizing them for as good of a team as they are when we know how Vince feels about tag teams. So yeah. <clears throat> and one of the they're one of their last uh angles they had in WWE, and I think they should have just said, no, we're gone, was when I think it was the Usos walked in and one was shaving the other one's back. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, what is really? Yeah. It's like, what is the point of this? It's like you have two great teams. Tag titles yeah. are involved. There's your story. Yeah. Boom. And that's all you need. You don't need. Well, they caught him shaving the other one's back. Yeah. There's, really? I mean, you know what? I don't know what the person got for writing that out, but it should have been a punch in the face. You should have been a punch in the face and a pink slip. I yeah, mean, exactly. <laughs> And, I mean, that was just some of the stupidest stuff. And it's like, and I think Vince McMahon does not, I think he's in, of course, we know he's in his own little world, but it's like this stuff that the writers come up with, he's the only one thinking it's funny. Yeah. The people that pay to see it and the people that watch it on TV every week don't think it's funny. We just want to see wrestling. Yes. And, and he wonders why, and then he wonders why he's got talent that are leaving and going over here to AEW mm -hmm. where they get to wrestle. Yeah. And, and of course, Gallows and Anderson, or, um, oh my God, what are they calling them now? The Good uh, Brothers. The Good Brothers. They, yes. I mean, they went to Impact, but Impact has a, um, like a deal going with AEW. Yes. And I'm pretty sure Ring of Honor, they got some kind of, kind of connection as well. They would, uh, Ring, Ring of Honor has a, Ring of Honor has a, well, they had a deal with New Japan, but I think that stopped. I know they still have a deal with uh, CML, uh, CMLL in Mexico. Um, AEW has a relationship with IWGP 
and Impact. So you've got all this great talent from Japan coming over. You've got great talent at Impact. I'm hoping they start having more people on Impact come over to AEW because right now it's just the Good Brothers going back and forth and right. having Kenny Omega going back and forth. But I think honestly, I think that would keep Impact afloat because Impact doesn't get as much exposure because they've been moved around. They get moved around, and every time they get moved to a different network, it's a smaller network every single time. Right. And less viewership every time. And there's really talented people there. It's just, I don't know. I think the management, I think the people that own the company is kind of at fault with that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, because I think if they were to get maybe – I think if they were to get a faction like the Horsemen, I think it'd be a little bit too much at, at one time. Yeah. Uh, but it's something they could gradually build in there to make people want to watch. Because like you said, I mean, the Four Horsemen made you want to watch them. Yeah. And yeah. they were one of the few, I remember, because you'd always see, uh, every once in a while, you'd see kids that would have, a you know, my age and our age, you know, um, yeah. just when I was still in North Carolina, they were having T-shirts. You know, they would have the good guys, except for the Horsemen. Yeah. Like, because the horsemen were they were heels but yet they were selling merchandise yeah and i don't think that you know it'd be hard pressed to have another faction like that i mean i do think that um the inner circle i think they could pull it off Um, yeah but it's a matter of i mean you got to have somebody dominating all the titles and they have to be good at what they're doing yeah Yeah, they have to be very believable i think the closest that they've had in the last decade was the shield yeah i mean i know they were only three-man group but they had that horseman mentality where it was like in order to get one title off of any of them you had to go through all three members of the shield they protected each other they protected the titles at one time they were they had the u.s title and the tag titles so i mean they were controlling you know a lot of the stuff and even though they were holding technically you know mid-card titles they remain eventing with those titles yes and i think had the wyatt family been used correctly yes they could have done that absolutely um, don't know i mean they were they were a devastating team who had the potential to just go in there and just wreak havoc on everybody yeah and even when they added braun Strowman there for that couple of months yeah um now, granted, his finishing move at the time was that goofy, here, let me put you in a hug. You know, that yeah, the bear <laughs> hug thing. And it's like, yeah. I've, never, I've never liked the bear hug finisher. It's just, I don't know. It just yeah. never. I, I, yeah, that one was weird. Um, yeah. You know, but but you got to think. It was a guy, unless it was a guy like Andre or Big John Studd or somebody, you know, right. a guy that size, it it's believable, but I mean, Strowman's a big guy, but it's still, it still looked like a weak finisher. Yeah, it did. I, I much prefer him using the running power slam. Yes. Because his running power slam was like that of uh Davey boy Smith. Yes. David, every time I see him do it, that's what I think of when I yep. first saw it. I'm like, Oh, he's been watching British bulldog tapes. Yes. Um, or the warlord. He would, the warlord would also yes. do it like that, but there, yeah. that's the only two I could really think of off the top of my head, but yeah um but yeah but the wyatts i mean they could have been they could have been like the horsemen because they were already scaring the bejesus out of everybody as it was yeah 
you know, the lights go out, boom, you wake up and you don't have your title anymore. And, and I've, I've always felt with the Wyatts, it was one of those, Vince had a certain idea for the Wyatts. They were, you know, they were, you know, they were booked as heels. They were supposed to get booed. But the fans loved, loved the concept and loved the guys that were in it. And they were getting cheered every time they came out. Fans were and wanting them to come out. And I think Vince just didn't do anything with them because they got over. And so, you know, so they, he, got, they got over and weren't supposed to. So he, I think so it was he buried like them. The old Hollywood Blondes thing where they got over and were not ever supposed to get over. Exactly. You know, but in Vince's case, if somebody gets over with like that and they're not supposed to, well, he'll start burying them. And that's what yeah, he did with the wife. Look at the people, look at like, okay, like Christian. Once he still, once he broke free of all the edge, you know, the, the edge stuff and he was Captain Charisma, which I loved him as Captain Charisma. He was over. Fans loved him everywhere. You know, you even in other matches, they were chanting for Christian. So, of course, what does Vince do? He just buries him because, oh, well, you got over and that wasn't my plan for you. Right. You know, so I'll make the fans not cheer for you because fans don't cheer for losers. Right, exactly. You know, so. uh, Another horseman, another group that's benefited from the horseman was in uh, TNA Impact now. But back in the TNA days, it was uh, Immortal. It was... uh, that was when Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan were in TNA. And uh, it was, it started off as like, it started off, it had Flair in a manager role because you had Fortune, who was kind of like the horseman. Because you had AJ Styles, Frankie Kazarian, um, Bobby Roode, James Storm. And that was like his Flair's like horseman. It was like a bunch, four young guys. At one time, they did control a lot of the TNA titles because uh, AJ was the world champion, Kazarian was the X Division champion, and Beer Money was the tag champions. And then they, when Hogan and Bischoff did their heel thing and storyline took over the company and everything, Fortune kind of got enveloped into Immortal, and they just pulled another NWO thing and started every week there was somebody new joining a mortal and it got to be like 20 guys coming out at the beginning of every show. And it's just, just kind of watered it down. Yeah. And cause that's what I didn't like how the NWO ended up doing that to the point where they actually had to, they had to split it in half. Yeah. Cause then, yeah, you know, you had... and then black and white, then yeah. black and white got to be, you know, the job squad version of the NWO because all yeah. the, all the bigger name guys went to the red and black and then they ended up calling that like NWO elite. And then you had NWO B team and the B team was just the job squad dudes. And it's yeah. like, that was not the point of this when it, when it first oh. started. Now I did like Eddie Guerrero when he had the LWO, the Latino world. I did like that. <laughs> uh, Ray Mysterio has been trying to get them to uh, bring that idea back. Because okay. it have all of the all of the Hispanic wrestlers, you know, under that oh, banner in oh, WWE. I'd be careful having Vince doing it though, because then you may end up with something again like the Mexicals. 
Yeah, I think it could work if they went to NXT. I think Triple H would do a good job with that. But yeah, you can't leave it to Vince because Vince is going to do something that's going to end up being racist. Yeah, you know, whether he means to or not. Yeah. you know, if like, like, man, I don't know how he, I don't know how he came up with the Mexico's idea and did not <laughs> see that that was just <laughs> like, extremely poor. Like, oh man, what do you mean you they're coming the, out on lawnmowers? Yeah, you got oh. the lawnmowers and you know the work jumpsuit thing coming out to the ring. <laughs> and it's like, how much more stereotypical can you get? Because I don't think it's their idea. No, no, and no. <laughs> and the sad thing is, it's probably not Vince's idea. Somebody brought it to Vince. Somebody brought it to Vince, and he probably said, "This is good crap." And yeah, said, yeah, <laughs> said, Book it. yeah. And Book it. Was, let's, let's go. And it's like that was, you know, you had three amazing wrestlers in that group, and it's just like the gimmick just killed anything that they were ever able yeah. to do. It's like nobody could see past the gimmick. Yeah, and that's they, somebody should have went and go. Oh God, is he? Oh no. Yeah. How is it that nobody said to Vince, like, uh, "Excuse me, sir, <laughs> this yeah. is not working out well." Oh man. So, um, one thing we have not addressed this week, and it actually has nothing to do with any of the horsemen or the factions or anything. Um. What do you think about the rumors about Daniel Bryan and CM Punk? Because uh, I'm still, I, I don't know if, if it's true or not. The Punk one, I'm not so sure. The Daniel Bryan one, I'm I'm almost pretty sure he's probably signed. Because one of his things with WWE, when that he was in negotiations to re-sign a contract, he wants to wrestle in Japan. That has always been one of his things since he is... Since he's got, because he's wrestled in Japan before he got to WWE. When he was on the independence, he was able to go to Japan and wrestle. Uh, he even got to wrestle with, uh, he was in tag matches with Jushin Thunder Liger, which is, he said that was like one of mm. his idols. Uh, and uh, he wants to go to Japan. Apparently, supposedly, the AEW uh, contract is for lesser dates with comparative money. I feel like he, what he's put his body through, I feel like he's earned less dates. I don't yeah. feel like he should, you know, be working 300 days a year. And uh, he wanted the ability to be able to go to Japan. Now, AEW is the perfect spot because they already have a working relationship with, you know, New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I think that one will work. Punk, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, exactly. I'll have to see him come out on an AEW show official because there's been so many rumors over the years with him coming back. And then, of course, you know, he's on Twitter saying like that none of that's true. If he does come back, I hope he comes. I hope he's gotten over that bitterness to WWE. I mean, I'd have no issue with him keeping the competitive nature of wanting to help AEW get bigger. Right. But if he's just coming back to stick it to Vince, that's seven years too late. Vince mm-hmm. does not care. Vince already proved his point by purposely firing you on your on your wedding day. So if he comes back and he still has that passion to wrestle and still 
you know, wants to be the best in the world, then I'm all for it because I've, I've always been a CM Punk fan. Right. But he just, he, he just has to watch the, the disgruntled employee. Yes. I think because yes. He, he would let, and you could tell that on a lot of the, um, I guess the promos and even before uh, the pipe bomb, sometimes he would be behind like Triple H or something like that. And while they're doing a promo with everybody else, and he's making these faces and you're like, yeah. dude, yeah. Um, and you yeah. could tell it wasn't part of what they were supposed no, to No, it was just like, you could tell he was, you, you could tell he was sped up, but yeah, it's like after seven years, it's like, you got to leave that behind. Yeah, exactly. And because all you're going to do, you're not going, it's not going to benefit AEW if he brings that kind of attitude with them. Yep. Because it's it's really going to make them look because you still have a lot of WWE fans that look at AEW as like Bush League, and if he comes in being disruptive with that type of attitude, that's really going to make them look Bush League. Yes, and especially with seven years of ring rust. Yes, yes. And, I mean, and I know, yeah, he's been tra- he he trained to do MMA, and has not won a fight yet. Um, well, technically, I guess one of them was overturned here recently, a fight he did back, like one of his first, you know, one of the only fights he had, I guess here, yeah. he was overturned on some kind of weird technicality. Uh, yeah, know, I think we only ended up having like three fights. Yep. And so that didn't fare out so well. Um, and in fact, even Stephanie and one of the times they were in Chicago and of course with Chicago being his hometown, they were. Yeah, CM Punk. CM Punk. She finally said, "Yeah, make your chant last about two minutes and however many seconds, because that's how, about how long his fight lasted." Yeah, I yeah. was like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> Stephanie knows she knows how to troll. Yeah. So I was like, "All right, got to give her that." <laughs> but, um, but he's been trolling on Twitter too because it said, "Oh, somebody said, oh, he he started following AEW's page," and somebody else pointed out, um, he also follows WWE's page. Yeah. And then he started following Tony Khan, but then he started following Vince McMahon. Right. And it's like, you're never going to know until he walks out on that show. Right. You know, so. um, So Daniel Bryan, I believe, I believe he signed with them, but Punk will be a, I'll have to see him on their show. Right. And I wonder what his name will be. Um... I think CM Punk. I think he owns he the own trademark it? to it. Yeah, what, I think he the, owns. I think he owns the trademark to it. Is that the name he did MMA under? No, he did MMA under uh, his right. real name, oh, uh, Phil, Phil Brooks. Phil Brooks. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, like you said, I mean, um, well, come you know, two nights from now, if we turn on the TV and they're yeah. both of them are walking out. You know, but Daniel Bryan will be Brian Danielson. Oh, he'll go back because, to his, his real name. Yeah, because WWE, he, he purposely did it that way when he signed with them. That way, if he ever left, he could use his real name because that's what he was known for around the world before WWE. And it's so, a close enough name, people go, oh, I think it's the same guy. Yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, one of the best, I think, pure wrestlers because some of his submission moves. Yeah. Um, I always liked his, I don't know, the crossface, I always liked his better because of the way he hooked their arm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And to me, that looked a lot more effective. Yeah. I liked Benoit's for the intensity because ben, Benoit was always intense with his. Yeah. But yeah, technique wise, yeah, Ron's was definitely, you yeah. know, the better of the two. 
Um, my favorite submission of Daniel Bryan is one he used um, on the independence, especially in Ring of Honor. It's called, uh, what's he called? Uh, Cattle Mutilation. It was a, uh, it looked similar to an under, like it was an underhook. Um, it, it looked like he, the way he did it, he would hook the guy, like he's standing face to face with him. He would hook him almost look like a German, but then he would lock his hands to where the guy's arms are pinned behind his and he's bridging. So he's got all that pressure on the guy's arms Ooh. and the guy's neck. Yeah. Man, you're talking like Stu Hart type stuff. Yeah, he won the, uh, if I remember right, he beat Nigel McGinnis for the ROH world title using that move. He made uh, Nigel tap out to that move. I'm going to have to go check that one out then. Yeah, that is another um, another person we were talking about clotheslines earlier. Uh, Nigel McGinnis um, had a really good lariat. Okay. I'm going to go check that one out too. Yeah. So, all right, cool. Well, we've been, we've been at it talking about the horsemen. And then, of course, we have to address some kind of modern day stuff, <laughs> you know, because right. um, <laughs> we, we didn't at the beginning. But, um, I believe we have talked about doing this twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, if yeah. we're able to. Yep. Yep. And I think that's another change to the show that, um, you know, I, I think the more the better because um, we can always come up with something, especially doing the watch alongs. Yeah. You know, so for all our listeners, uh, definitely pay attention, tell your friends, because that's one of the things, that's how we grow the podcast. Let your friends know about us and, you know, let them know that we have a great show because we think it's great. <laughs> and, exactly. Yes, we do. Yep, yep. Um, because we, Dwaylon and I and Kyle before Dwaylon, we all have a passion for uh, wrestling. And, and I guess if you want to call it sports entertainment, but we've been following for such a long time, even when people say, why are you following that as fake? It ain't, it ain't fake to me. Right. Right. You know, and it's you, like, we all know it's predetermined, but those men and women, put in they put more wear and tear in their body than any professional athlete you can find yeah they don't get you know they don't get off seasons they work night after night town after town it's yes. not like it's not like pro football where you get a, you get a, you know you're off you play sunday and then you don't play again until the next sunday no these people are wrestling a 30 minute match in one town driving or flying, depending on where they're going to the next town, wrestling another 30 minute match and just on and on 300 days a year. And then the theatrics of it. And I'm not talking like the moves are doing the ring, but I'm talking like the promos and how you get people in there and how you convince people right. um, that what you're doing, you know, at least looks legitimate and yeah. the reason for it is legitimate. And so building up that story and so much that people can just learn from it if they would actually pay attention because yeah. they, they like sports, they like action, you know, stories. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden you combine them, they don't like it. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of, a lot of fans, a lot of today's fans are too busy trying to get themselves over to right. pay attention because like something, something current that's going on, the Nikki Ash character. Yes. I'm fine with that character. She's mm -hmm. she's it was her creation. 
she's loving that character. You can tell she's having a great time. Apparently, Vince loved the character because he had enough uh, faith in it to give her the Money in the Bank brief- briefcase and the Raw Women's title. Yes. But apparently on the house show loop, she's getting booed because they're putting her in triple threat matches with Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. So, I mean, they they kind of set her up to fail as far as the house show crowd goes because, but I feel like at the same time, the house show crowd's not giving the gimmick a chance. They're just, they're just booing it to boo it. Because right. really, to me, there's no reason to not like it. It's it's geared toward the kids. It's an uplifting type gimmick for, it, for the it's kids. A, it's a feel-good character. It really is. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Especially in the world that we live in, if people can find find an uplifting thing that they can, you know, look at and believe in, I'm all for it. Yep. Yep. So, and speaking of Raw, we're actually missing it right now, but um, it's being recorded, so maybe I can catch it. I <laughs> <laughs> can catch it later. Uh, but all right, my friend, well, we will figure out what we're going to do before Thursday and I will talk at you throughout the week. All right. All right, we'll man. See you. God, yep. God bless.